So great to see you all this morning. My name is Matt. I'm the lead pastor here at Mission View. If this is your first time joining us for worship, welcome. So glad you've come. If you're joining online for the first time, welcome. We are uh, starting a new um, sermon series today called We Believe. We're going to go through some of the statements that we have on our doctrinal page on our website on the things that we believe. And today is all about the Bible. Does everybody have your Bibles today? If you brought your Bibles, go ahead up to 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you've got your digital Bibles, don't turn the page. It doesn't work. You can dial it in on your digital Bibles as well. I love the Bible. God's word for us. Uh, it is so much more than just um, a book. It's so much more than just 66 books gathered together. It is living. It is alive. It um, changes us as we read it. There is a supernatural thing that happens that the, the Holy Spirit God actually brings it to life. The Holy Spirit opens our eyes to the truth of God's word and that truth changes us. It changes our minds. It changes um, how we look at the world and it changes our hearts. From the very innermost parts of who we are, God's word is living and active. It is, uh, the Bible talks about itself as being a two-edged sword piercing down to the very marrow of who we are, the very deepest parts of who we are. When I started looking into Christianity and really deciding whether it was something I would believe, something that I would dedicate my life to, the first thing I went to was the Bible. If the Bible's not true, if it's not accurate, if it's not real, then Christianity falls apart. It falls apart. Everything that we learn and know about our creator comes from the truth of his word. And if that truth isn't truth, then Christianity falls apart. So I spent, spent years looking into the historicity, the, the, the value, the inerrancy, the, all of it. All of the stuff that you would look into in whether this book is true or not. So... Today I want to share with you a lot of research, a lot of information, and um, I'll try and go through it as slow as possible so you can follow along, but then we're going to look into God's Word in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and see what God's Word says about itself. Sound good? All right, three of you are with me. It's great. We can do this. Let's pray before we open God's Word and talk about God's Word today. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for truth. We thank you for your son, Jesus. Father, more than all this information that we're about to share and, and all these ideas, Father, we pray most of all that the power of your presence would rest on us. We confess we need your change. We need your truth. We confess we need a savior. All of us come before you today in need and so, so knowing that we surrender to you, Father, come and have your way in us, God. May your truth ring out and may it change us, change us to our very core, Father. 
that we would walk out of here different people than we walked in because we have met with our creator. We have met with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there's so many amazing supernatural truths about the Bible. I just want to draw our attention to some of those. The first one is this. It's the writing of the Bible. The Bible was written over a 1,600-year period by approximately 40 different men. And the time of the writing was from 1,500 B.C. to 100 A.D. Now, this is remarkable. It's remarkable because as you look at the 66 books of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation you have a coherent theme that goes throughout the entire book that each of the books line up with one another, reinforce one another, and and actually play off of one another. We're talking about a book that was written over 1,600 years by 40 different people. It makes no sense that this book would actually be coherent, that it would work together, that it would reinforce one another. There's this supernatural, miraculous thing about the actual writing of the scriptures. This is no normal book. I mean, our, our modern American history books don't even line up with each other. Think about that for a second. The Bible, over 1,600 years, coherent, reinforcing, tied together, thematic through the entire thing. Unbelievable, miraculous. While the Bible is one book, it contains 66 smaller books. The books of the Old Testament were written before the birth of Christ, and the New Testament covers the life of Christ and beyond. There's chapters and verses throughout the Bible. Each of the books, except five, are divided into chapters and verses. The five which aren't by chapters are Obadiah, Philemon, 2 John, 3 John, and Jude. These are the shortest books in the Bible. The Bible is God's Word. There are many books written about and by various religions, but the Bible is the only one which includes the actual words of God. Those who believe the Bible also believe that God inspired various people through the years to write down his actual words for mankind. God's actual words for me and you. The Bible is a revelation of the creator to his creation. We believe that when God wrote this, he was revealing his heart, his nature, who he is to us. And when we read it, when we see how he interacts with creation, so you you see the Old Testament, it tells the history of humanity, the fall in the garden of Adam and Eve, and then God purposing and making a way for humanity to be brought back into right relationship with him. He says, you know, all throughout those hundreds and hundreds of years with this chosen people, the Israelites, the chosen people, the Israelites were his chosen people to, to bring this Savior to the world. This, this people would be set apart to be the bloodline of the Savior that was coming to bridge the gap that was created by sin in the garden. So you see this plan just of God's God's miraculous working and preserving a people that would bring Jesus to the planet. This is a revelation to us of God's amazing love for us. The lengths that our creator has gone to promise to a people or make a covenant with a people 
to fulfill that covenant over thousands and thousands of years to preserve a bloodline that we have clearly laid out in Scripture name by name all the way up through Christ's coming. It's, it's just unbelievable. I mean, it, it is unfathomable that this would actually tie together and work. It reveals the power of God, that he can do this, that he can say, okay, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to choose this people. They're going to be a people set apart from the world. They're going to look different. They're going to sound different. They're going to live different. They're going to abide by these laws that will protect them and guide them into the future and will protect and guide this bloodline for my son to come into the world. The power of God to do that in the midst of of all types of of people coming against the Jews and coming against the Israelites. I mean, we've seen it in our day. It's it's unbelievable. God has done this. That is the power of God. It's the love of God revealed in the scriptures of God. The Bible is God's word. Here's another thing, amazing fact about the Bible. The Bible's historically accurate. There's several secular historians who wrote about the events of the New Testament at the same time the Bible was being written. One is Josephus. He's the most well-known of them. He's a Jewish historian. There's Tacitus, who's a Roman historian. He'd have no benefit of, of writing historical content that backs up the Bible, but he did. He did. The Bible's historically accurate. And there's historical discoveries regularly coming to light that continue to support the accuracy of the Bible. In fact, they're digging up civilizations that that even today, even right now, there's archaeological discoveries that are coming to light that actually reinforce everything that the Bible has taught. It's amazing. It's amazing to see. The Bible never contradicts itself. This is a big one. I, I, I talk to people who, who are exploring Christianity, and, and they say, oh, there's all these contradictions in the Bible, and it, 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 you know, it goes against itself if you just read through it. I'm, I'm like, no, no, it doesn't. If, if we actually read it for what it says, if we, if we take a critical look at the Bible and, and, and interpret it the way it's meant to be interpreted, we have to remember the Bible is no ordinary book. If it's inspired by God, if, and we're going to talk about this in, in 2 Timothy, if it's God-breathed, if men's hands wrote it, but God, the Holy Spirit, breathed it out onto the pages they were writing, there was a supernatural thing that happened. What, we're, what we have is, is a book that is, is to us and for us, but by a divine God, an all-powerful God. And we look at the Scriptures There's going to be certain things in the scriptures that in our human limitations, we just can't quantify. We can't wrap our minds around a little bit. One of those is the Trinity, that God is three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in one. This mystery that is the Trinity is the idea that God is way more and way beyond what we think, know, and understand. It's just true. There should be, and I'll just be honest with you, there should be a part about God that we just don't understand. I mean, if he really is God, should we be able to fully understand him and, you know, write it all out scientifically and understand what kind of God would that be? 
There is something about a divine creator that should be mystery to us. But we know that as God talks about those mysteries, he says those mysteries will be revealed at a time when he comes again. So we do have that. But in the waiting, in the between of Christ's first and second coming where we live, we hold these mysteries. The Bible never contradicts itself. The last one I want to talk to you about is this, the prophecies in the Bible. The foretelling of the future in the Bible. This is one of my favorite ones. I'm going to spend the most time on this. Let me share this with you. The, the fulfilled prophecies of the Bible. We could just believe that the Bible is the word of God on this one point alone. It's staggering. Do you realize that at the time the Bible was written, 27% of the Bible was prophetic? 27%. There are 1,817 prophecies of some nature in the Bible at the time the author wrote the scripture. A prophecy is pre-written history. Only God knows the future, and the reason that God knows the future is because he is God and he has foreordained the future. God's not only looking down the tunnel of time to see anything because God already knows everything. He's not looking down the corridor of time to see he already knows the future. He knows everything. God has already foredained everything. He records some of it in Scripture for us. We read all kinds of prophecies regarding individuals, that Abraham would have a son. And did he? Yes. In his later years, he miraculously had. There would be rulers like Cyrus of Persia, a hundred years before Cyrus assumed the throne, his name is in Isaiah 45. A hundred years. How would you like to predict uh, the next president a hundred years from now? Anybody want to go for it right now? We can write it down, put it in a little time capsule. Our kids' kids can figure it. No, that kind of thing doesn't happen. But the Bible has it in there. The Bible gives names and countries of rulers long before they were even birthed or it came onto the scene. Nations such as the fall of the northern kingdom, the length of Judah's captivity or empire regarding the fall of Babylon or cities like the destruction of Tyre, etc., etc., etc. Over and over and over again, the Bible tells the future. There's a, a mounting case of evidence that substantiates the perfect truthfulness of God's word. There are no other books in the world that do this. Now, that's history, right? And it's this foretelling of things that we've seen to come now. What about the prophecies about Jesus Christ? The greatest fulfillments of prophecy are found at the first coming of Christ. Not even the second coming, but at the first coming. It was prophesied in the Old Testament that Jesus would be born the seed of Abraham, Jesse, and David. There's that protected bloodline that I was talking about. He would be born of a virgin called Emmanuel, born in Bethlehem. Great persons would come to adore him. There would be the killing of children in Bethlehem. He would be called out of Egypt. He would be preceded by a forerunner, John the Baptist. He would be anointed with the Holy Spirit. He would be a prophet like Moses, a priest after the order of Melchizedek. 
He would be entering into his public ministry in Galilee, specific places. He would be entering publicly into Jerusalem and come into the temple. He would live in poverty and meekness, tenderness, and compassion. He would be without deceit, full of zeal, preaching with parables, working miracles, bearing reproach. He would be rejected by his own Jewish brethren. These are all prophecies about Christ before he was ever born. He would be rejected. The Jews and Gentiles would combine together against him. He would be betrayed by a friend. His disciples would forsake him. He would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. It all came to pass. It's all history. This is no normal book. It goes on. He would die with intense suffering, yet be silent under the suffering. He would be struck on the cheek. He would be spit upon and scarred. His hands and feet would be nailed to the cross. He would be forsaken by God. He would cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He would be mocked. Gal and vinegar would be offered to him. His garments would be parted. Lots would be cast for his clothing. He would be numbered among the transgressors. He would intercede for his murderers. All the things we see have come to pass. He would die, but not a bone of his body would be broken. He would be pierced long before his crucifixion would even... This is, this is all long before crucifixion was ever invented. Before it was ever invented. This is, this is in the scriptures. He would be buried with the rich. His flesh would not see corruption. He would be raised from the dead. He would ascend back to the right hand of God the Father. All of this, everything I just shared, recorded hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus ever entered this world. Now, here's the scary thing. Many of the prophecies in this book haven't been fulfilled yet, but they are here. This is no normal book. This is the very word of God. This is the creator's breath breathed out on pages for you and me. And it changes us. It changes our minds. It changes our hearts. And it is the basis for all of Christianity. God's holy word. If this isn't true, then it's all for naught. But it is true. It is supernatural. And it goes beyond anything you can ever imagine. And if you're out there and you're questioning, you're wondering, do your homework. Research it. Look into it. Call the church office. We'd love to meet with you for coffee and talk about so much more. I have such limited time here. There is there's months of research that you can do to look into these things. And I encourage you to do it. That God would reveal himself to you through his very word. If you go to our website and you look under the uh, doctrinal page of what we believe, the very first thing on there is the Bible. And this is what it says. The Bible is God's inspired, infallible, and inerrant word. Now, what does all that mean? It means this. The Bible's God's inspired. That means of extraordinary content arising from an external divine source. Inspired. 
infallible. It means it is never failing and it is always effective. Never failing, always effective. And inerrant. That means incapable of being wrong. It is never wrong. It is God's never wrong word. We talk about that in 2 Timothy 3, but we also read about it in Psalms 119 and in 1 Peter 1, 23 through 25. Now, these three things that we're going to be talking about or that we've just talked about are on trial today, and they've been on trial for a long time. So many people have brought this this up and these questions, the inspiration and authority of God's word, the infallibility or sufficiency of God's word, and its inerrancy. We believe that it is God's God-breathed. But I, I challenge all of you to do your research because it talks about the Bereans in Acts 17, 11, and 12. It says, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness. Now get this, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. This is God's word. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 3. God's, God's word. Now, what does God's word, what does God have to say about his scriptures to us today? Let's pick it up in verse 10. This is, this is Paul's letter, second letter to Timothy, who's leading the church in Ephesus and Kind of, I love these letters to this pastor. I read them. It means so much because, you know, being a pastor myself, you know, the wisdom that comes from it, we just gleam so much. So he's talking to Timothy here, talking about how Timothy has followed his words. And previous to this, he's listed how the world has gone so far from God's truth, from what God would, God's morality for humanity. He's got this long list of just horrible things that the world is doing. And we can kind of see that today, can't we? In our world today, even. So he says, you, however, not like what he's just talked about, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. We cannot avoid it. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. I underlined this. You might want to underline this too. The sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What a statement. That's why I have it underlined in my Bible and highlighted with a star beside it. The sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And here's where we're going to spend most of our time. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I love this. So good. The first fill-in in your notes is this. 
As you came in, you should receive a little program, and you can follow along, make notes in there. The first filling in your notes is this. The Bible is God-breathed. The Bible is God-breathed. This is a crazy word in Greek. Theonustos. Paul had to make up a word. Theonustos. It's, it wasn't in the vocabulary. It wasn't in the dictionary at the time. Paul had to make up this word that actually described what the Bible was, that it was God-breathed. It was supernatural truth. The Bible is the inspired word of God, that God wrote the Bible through human hands. It is so far beyond men's ideas, men's wisdom. It is actually God's wisdom wisdom given to us. It is God's revelation of who he is, how he interacts with his creation, his love, his power, his sovereignty, his wrath, forgiveness, mercy, and judgment, and on and on. It reveals his view on sin, his view on human weakness and frailty. It tells the story of God, the son, Jesus, I don't know if you've picked up on it or not or read the Bible enough to know this yet, but Genesis through Revelation is about Jesus. Every scripture, all of it points to the God-man, Jesus, who came to make a way for us to be in right relationship with God. The Bible is the most epic love story of all time that a creator would create and love this creation so much that he would make a way for his creation to be in right relationship with him. It's a, it's a book of redemption. It's a book of restoration. And it shows the good, the bad, and the ugly of humanity. We just went through the series, the good, the bad, and the ugly of Saul, right? But he's a picture of humanity, right? The good, the bad, and the ugly. Nothing, <laughs> nothing is not talked about in the Bible, I don't know if you've picked up on that or not yet either. That one's being challenged too. Oh, the Bible doesn't say anything about this. Or the Bible doesn't say anything. Yes, it does. Trust me. There is nothing the Bible doesn't address when it comes to the human condition and our predicament. Nothing. The Bible addresses every single bit of it. The second fill in your notes is this. The Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us the scripture in verse 16, all scriptures breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching. The Bible has given us God's commands towards the best life possible. God loves us and wants what is best for us. He has given us guidelines to walk within, not to take the joy out of life, but to lead us to the most joyful life possible. I, I love this about God. So many people look at Christianity as a list of do's and don'ts. They come in there just like, hey, what box do I need to live in? You just tell me what to do and I'll do that and I'll, I'll live up to this, this measurement or I'll, I'll do what's required so that I can get the pat on the back and you know get the little star badge and stickers and everything else and I'll feel good about myself. You know, and, and, move. and that's not Christianity at all. And in fact, that's the opposite of Christianity. Christianity isn't living up to all these rules and standards and regulations. Christianity is a relationship with our creator. It is a relationship with God. And in that relationship, God begins to change us and, and, and do what he wants in us and, and work his righteousness in us. 
It's not us going after this list of rules, this list of do's and don'ts. It's us running after a Savior that loves us, that's loved you so much that even when you were his enemy, even when you're shaking your fist at him, even when you're cursing him, he's pouring out his love and grace and mercy on you. And when we realize that, we run after him, we thank him, and we find forgiveness and the power to live out a righteous life. And the next thing you know is you look back at this list of do's and don'ts, and you're like, how am I doing this? How has my life changed so much? I, I, I mean, I look back at my life seven years ago. I'm not the same person I was. I mean, I, I look back at my life even now, and I look back five years, and I'm, that's the old man. You hear me say it all the time. God loves you too much to leave you the way you are. And man, is that so true? We all need change. We all need growth, and God is doing that as he reveals his love to us through his son, Jesus Christ, through his word. The Bible teaches us, but it does so much more. As we see here in 2 Timothy, it reproves us. It doesn't just teach us, it reproves us. Now, reprove is not a common word we use today, but it's this rebuke or admonishment or a call to change, a beckoning to righteousness. It's, hey, you are, you are headed north, and north there's a cliff, and you're going to fall off. That's bad. We don't want you to die. Turn back and come south. It's this loving call saying, don't do this. Don't do this. This is not, this is not the best for you. God has something so much better than this for you. It's this beckoning to the righteousness of God. God is calling you to a better life. Through his word, he reveals the hope that we have in Christ. He reveals the change that he wants to work in and through us. And so as we read God's word and the Holy Spirit does this amazing work of opening our eyes to its truth, it is beckoning us, it is reproving us to the righteousness of God. Are we reading it? Right, I'm saying all these things about God's word this morning. The supernaturalness of God's word, the power of God's word, that it, it actually cuts and pierces deep into who we are. It's supernatural. The Holy Spirit uses it and changes us as we read it. Are we reading it? Are you spending time in God's word? I was going to wait to the end to say this, but I just got to say it now. How much time are we investing? How much time are we pouring into God's word? It reproves us. Number four, the Bible corrects us. Correction is what comes next. The Holy Spirit not only lovingly lets us know what we are doing wrong, but it points us in the right direction. It, 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 it's, it, it doesn't stop at, hey, you're doing this wrong. It doesn't stop there. The Holy Spirit, through God's word, says, hey, hey, that's, that's not the best thing to do. Here's what you should do. Here's, here's how you live out this righteousness. This, as you pursue Christ, here's, here's what he's going to do in your heart. It's not this list of do's or don'ts. It's this relationship with your creator. And as you're pursuing him, here's, here's what you need to do. I'll just pull out one biblical principle for you. I, I've got 
tons of them. I'll give you one. In Ephesians 4, the Bible says this, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former, former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self created after his likeness, after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We have the biblical principle here of put off and put on. That as God reveals to us our weaknesses and sin, let's say the struggle, the sin we were dealing with was lying. As God reveals that sin, the Holy Spirit brings a sweet conviction that draws us to repentance, that draws us to the cross of Christ, and it draws us to seek God's wisdom, guidance, and forgiveness. We repent of the sin of lying. The Bible says, well, then put on the new man. Put on righteousness. So we go from being a liar and lying, telling that last little white lie to cover up the list of others, to being big time truth tellers. I mean, we're telling the truth where everybody asks. Have you seen that movie, Liar, Liar? With a, it was a Jim Carrey. And, he's, and he, just, he just spouts off truth statements as it goes. Not that like that, but sort of, Right? But when, when we have the opportunity to speak the truth, we are going above and beyond speaking truth. Here's the truth. Here's the whole truth. And you, you may not be able to handle the truth, but here's the truth. And I'm going to tell the truth because now I'm a truth teller. Because God saved me from lying. Jesus died on the cross because I am a liar. And now I put on this new self because of the love that I found, find in Christ on the cross. I'm the biggest, loudest truth teller there is because Jesus died for me. And I'm not the old Matt, the liar that was there. I'm the new Matt, a new man created in Christ Jesus. And I tell the truth way above and beyond. Simple, simple, biblical principle. And there's tons of them all throughout God's word that we, if we apply to our lives, God just changes us. He changes us. The power of God in his word for a changed life. And let me just tell you, every single one of us here today, every single one of us watching this, everyone watching this recording later on, need change. We all need change. And God wants to change us. Number five, this is one of my favorites. The Bible trains us in righteousness. Who likes training? Anybody? Trainers out there? Is Claire Smith out here? She's probably, I think she's probably on vacation this week. She's a trainer. You know, you go into the gym and you're like, ah, here we go. You know, it's been, been six years, but I got to get back into it, right? So you go to the gym and you're like, you go to the weight bench, you go to the bench, you know, and I used to be able to bench 300 pounds and I go in there and I put on like 50 pounds. You're like, somebody, I need a spot. <laughs> 50 pounds is going to kill me. You know, and then you get done with the workout. What happens, right? The next day you're exhausted and you're walking around like this because you can't move. And this, you know, your buddies always come up to you. Bam, how are you doing? You're like, oh, that hurts. Don't hit me there. I, you know, you can't move. It hurts. We hate training. We hate it. 
It's painful. The muscles tear. You have to rebuild them. You have to drink those nasty protein shakes. You have to do all this. You have to get extra sleep. You have to, I mean, then your whole day works around it. You're like, how am I going to do this? What does this look like? And then as you, as you pursue it and you do it regularly, the, the, the soreness kind of limits a little bit. You kind of, okay. You work your way back up and six months down the road, you're like, hey, how's it going, man? I feel great. I carried my car to work today. <laughs> no, you feel great, right? I mean, you feel good about yourself. You look in the mirror. My pants fit differently. This is great. You get the tight muscle shirts. It's awesome. <laughs> but it's ugly at first. I talk to so many people that give up on God's word because they don't let it train them. They're not willing to go through the pain. They're not willing to take the shot from their buddies in the chest. And they read it for like three weeks and think, oh, failed me again. Give me a break. It takes work. The Bible talks about training. I mean, when Paul actually talks about the training in scriptures, he's using words that uh, like Olympi Olympians would train. The Olympic training, you're talking about people who dedicate their lives every second of every day is accounted for because it's got to be the perfect diet. They have to consume 28,000 calories every, whatever it is every day. They have to hit the gym for this many months. They have to lift weights this much. They have to do cardio this much. They have to train with a speed trainer this much. They have to train with a weight trainer this much. And then they have to go and do the actual Olympic thing that they're going to do. That's what we're supposed to be doing with this. And we read it for five minutes a day and call it a day. Give me a break. You want to see change in your life dedicated to his word. Don't sissy around with it. It's not some five-minute dedication. I said it just a few weeks ago. This relationship with God will be meaningless if it's for one hour every week. God's calling us into a passionate relationship with the Savior who died for us. And we think we're fine. We think we're just going along fine living here in America, paying our mortgage and having all these insurances and all these things catered to us. And we're desperate for more of God. We just don't know it. Don't read the Bible because I'm giving you a hard time today. Read the Bible because your Savior died for you. And he loves you. And he wants to reveal his heart to you through his word. He is right here. He is right here. And he's saying, come on, come on. I've got more for you. I've got more for you. The blood, sweat, and tears of training are right here. Come to me, all who are weak, all who are weary. My burden, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come to Jesus. But we train ourselves in the world, and we go after the things of this world, and it beats us down. And we're like, why am I such a mess? And God says, you're such a mess. It's because you're wearing the wrong yoke. Come to me. God loves you. He loves you so much. And it's on every page of this book. It's on every page. The Bible trains us. We have to train our minds on God's word and learn how to study it, meditate on it, and let it read us. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Number six, what does God's word say about itself? That we may be complete. 
Now, this Greek word could be directly translated as grown up, matured. We are being matured in the word. You know, I like those word plays, right? Matured in the word. But the Bible makes us complete. Not partial, not almost there, not 40%, not 77%, not 99.9996% makes us complete in him. Matured, grown up in him. So that, and here's number seven, we may be equipped for every good work. Not some good works, not a few good works, but every good work that God has planned and has set before us. God doesn't give much wiggle room when it comes to the book he wrote. The sufficiency of Scripture, the fullness of God's Word, every good work, completely matured in God's Word, grown up in His truth and righteousness. There, there are so many sneaky things creeping into the church and I find myself even being guilty of this from time to time, not believing that the Bible is enough. Not believing that the truth of God's word is enough. Not believing that the gospel is everything we need. The good news of Jesus Christ is everything that we need. That the person of Jesus Christ is all I need find myself thinking, I need Jesus in a great retirement. I need Jesus in my mortgage to be paid. I'm not saying those are bad things. Those are good things. But I get consumed by those things sometimes. I, I, I need Jesus and my car to run right. I need the gospel and this and this and this. The Bible doesn't answer this question. It doesn't address this problem in my life. It doesn't address this struggle I've been having. Yes, yes, it does. And this is so difficult because everything around us in this world is saying there is so much other things that you can add to it, or that you should add to it that, that are better than what's actually in here. I find myself buying into the lie from time to time. It's ridiculous. It sounds great. The Bible is sufficient. I mean, it doesn't sound spiritual. I mean, you just nod your head yes and put that look on your face. Yes, yes. I'm so spiritual. And then we deal with the habitual sin we're going through throughout the week, and it just gone. God wants to set you free. That's the word for you today from the Lord. God wants to set you free. 
And all of us are dealing with sin somewhere in our lives right now. And God wants to set you free. God knew we would struggle with sin. And I don't know what that sin is. Lust, gluttony, greed, fear, anger, resentment, anxiety. I don't know what that sin is. But God loves you so much that he wants you to find freedom. He wants you to find that freedom so much that he sent Jesus to die for that sin. That God would actually put on flesh, leave heaven, leave the paradise that all of us are longing to actually get to, to walk out of that paradise, put on flesh, live a perfect life for 33 years, and then be betrayed by one of his closest friends, and then be murdered on a tree, beaten to the point where he was not recognizable, his beard torn from his face, thorns crushed into his skull, and then hung on a cross. And when he hung on that cross and he was bleeding to death and they pierced his side and blood and water spilt to the ground, know this. He knew your name he saw your face. He saw every wicked thing you would do. And he still took his last breath for you. That's our Savior. That's the love of God in his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus didn't hang on that cross so that we would stumble around here on earth. He died on that cross to set you free. And you can find freedom in Jesus today. Find freedom in Jesus today. Let's go before him in prayer right now. I know that God is setting people free even now. That his Holy Spirit's doing a work in hearts right now. I can see it. I know it. Come, Holy Spirit, do your work. Come, God, do the work that only you can do. I'm gonna ask some of our prayer team to come up right now. Andrew, would you come up and pray with some people? Josh, would you come up and pray with some people too? I think there's gonna be people that wanna respond to this. You want freedom. You want the supernatural work of God, the Holy Spirit in your heart right now. We're gonna sing a song here. The band, you guys come on out. Um, after the band's done singing the song, I just want to invite you to come forward and pray uh, with some of our prayer team. They want to pray for you. Also, too, uh, we want to offer time. If you want to talk to a pastor or a trusted brother or sister in Christ, please call the church office this week. We'd love to pray with you and talk to you about the struggles that you're going through. God calls us to live life together, to do life together. And let me just tell you, you don't have to walk this walk alone. This, you don't have to walk this journey, this struggle to freedom alone. We want to walk that with you. That's what the church is all about. We're a family, brothers and sisters in Christ. We want to walk with you. Let's go ahead and stand and sing this song. And even during the song, if you feel like you'd like to receive prayer, please come forward and receive prayer today. We want to pray with you and walk with you through this journey.
did I pray already or did I just say I was going to pray? Well, let me pray. Amy, you should be up here too. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. And God, I just thank you for the work that you're doing in the hearts of your people right now. God, you do love us too much to leave us the way we are. We surrender to you. We surrender to that work right now. I just pray for those whose hearts are broken over their sin, God. Move on their hearts more, that they would step out in faith, that they would make that move, Father, that they come and receive prayer, and, and their life would be different today forever because they've met with their creator in a way they never have before. We believe your word. We believe your power. We surrender to it in Jesus' name. Amen.